This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about VoucherCon, which is coming right up, and and I was saying, hey, I'm going to come up and I'm finally going to meet you face-to-face, and we're going to make all this work. It's not going to work. No! <laughs> Steve, you're just scared of me, admit it. I am. I am. <laughs> I, can, I can only do this over Skype. That's the only way I can do it. And, and we can't do it with a camera either. No, just It has voice. to be just yes. voice. has to be voice, yes. We're, we're going to make it happen one way or the other, right? Sometime. Eventually. Some, hopefully, BoucherCon in Dallas next year, when you're, as I understand it, you're like, reserving hotel rooms all around the city so that you can host this big party. <laughs> no. <laughs> Did I get that wrong? <laughs> yes, but I do already have a hotel room booked for BoucherCon 2019. I really flubbed it for 2018. I wasn't planning on going initially. And um, normally these hotel rooms book up really fast. And I guess in the case of the ones in St. Petersburg in a couple of days, mm-hmm. they didn't have as big of a hotel block so by the time I tried to book, which is about six months out, I couldn't get on site. And it's miserable when you're not in the actual conference room hotel. So for Dallas, I'm like, I booked like a year and a half in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can always cancel your reservation if you're not going to need it, right? So, But I, I, I'm like, I am going to be on site for that one. So yeah. I was terrified. You and I have talked about the 20 Books to 50K conference in Las Vegas that's in November. And I registered, I don't know, a long time ago. And I just, at that time, you couldn't go online and book a room. You had to call. And like most human beings today, I hate to talk to anyone on the phone, so I refused to do it. I just waited until you could do it online. And then I forgot, and then I saw the message online that the hotel was booked. And I had promised to pay for rooms for some other people, and I'm freaking out. And so I finally, I go online and try and reserve the rooms at the non-conference rate, which is only a little bit higher. And I get all the way to the end and it says, "Eh, failure, you have to call. So it was a total failure on my part. (laughs) I did have to wind up calling them, but I got the rooms reserved and it only cost a little bit of extra money. But I was really freaking out because this hotel is not, unlike every other hotel in Las Vegas, this one is not close to anything. So it's not like oh. you could just go across the street and walk. It's, it would have yeah. been bad. No, I'm, um, the way, that's the way it is this year in, in St. Pete, too, where like most of the hotels are 15-minute walk away, 10-minute walk away. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can take good trot. They have lots of public transport options and stuff and all of that, but and shuttles and everything, but I'm just kicking myself. So BoucherCon, here we go. It's, I'm already just like anxiety out the window, and I'm like, okay, deep breaths, we can do this. All right. For people who don't know what BoucherCon is, what is it? It is the biggest mystery thriller book type convention, I guess, in the world because it's the biggest in the country. 
Um, and it's where all the mystery lovers, true crime lovers, you know, noir, thrillers, suspense, all the fans and the authors all sort of get together um, for a big convention. But it's like a big party. It's very not stuffy. It's just very fun and it's very fan oriented which is what i like about it is and it's that's do. one of the things that makes it so different from most other conferences other than maybe some of the romance conferences because most of like if you go to thriller fest it's for agents and writers and there might be some fans there but that's not the purpose of it i mean yeah it exactly and and i don't know that it necessarily was intended to be that way it's just how it's kind of developed is that it's very industry oriented at thriller fest so you have aspiring authors and authors and agents and editors and whatnot but you don't have as many fans who just show up just for the love of the book or to meet their authors or whatever whereas BowserCon, that's exactly what it is you still get the editors and the agents and the you know the authors and the aspiring authors but there are so many fans there and that's why i love it well the other the mystery and thriller conference that i've gone to a few times is one of the biggest regional conferences in the country sleuth fest which is in florida and it is 95 percent authors and there's there's nothing scheduled for fans there is a bookstore where fans could come in and buy books and you could get autographs and things but it's it there's nothing organized for fans are there things organized for fans at BoucherCon? i think mainly it's there's so many panels um where you get to come and interact with the authors that you're looking forward to you know, interacting with, and they do signings and stuff like that, but there's also like parties and book events. And, um, I know quite a few publishers will sponsor, uh, like a room, for example, and they'll have a bunch of their authors come and they'll just give away books and have the authors there autographing them. So for people who are looking to get, uh, their hands on early copies of books that are ah, coming down the pipeline to cool. meet the authors. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think in that sense, it's very fan oriented. There wouldn't really be as much reason to do that if there weren't readers, you know, non-writing readers there. Because, I mean, who doesn't love a free book? But it's just going to have a lot more impact and mean more to someone who um, isn't really just... um, I want to use the word like drowning in the book industry. <laughs> yes, well, that, that's, <laughs> that's that's a fair word. point. That's a fair point. Every every book conference that I've ever been to, I always wind up going back with a truckload of books, and I I get so excited, and then I have all these books here, and I walk in the house with them, and Julie looks at me like, "Okay, where are we going to put these books?" And I I go, "Well, I'm going to put them here, and I'm going to read them, and then I don't <laughs> read them because I very seldom read physical books anymore." But I have them, and I have – I probably have half a dozen sitting next to me in a bookshelf from uh, a Sleuth Fest a couple years ago. Well, I know that a lot of the fans who go to these places who come back with boxes and boxes of books, they read them. Like that's that's their life. Reading is their like primary hobby, and it's really fun as an author to be able to – meet people who actually know who you are like yes there's so many so many authors and so many books that i'm just surprised when someone's like oh yeah i've read your book that to me is shocking because there's just so much available 
But at BoucherCon, that's the one place where I'll be like, oh, my God, you're Taylor Stevens. I love your work. <laughs> and I'm like that'll keep me going for like months of just like riding this high of there's people out there who actually know who I am. It's awesome. That is awesome. All right. And we actually have a show topic for this week, but it's actually multiple topics because we're doing Q&A this week. And we're doing Q&A to make it kind of easy because Taylor's leaving for BoucherCon tomorrow. Um, I leave on Thursday. Thursday. So, okay. So yeah, we're yeah. recording on the 3rd, September 3rd. I am leaving for Las Vegas on Wednesday, which is why I can't be in BoucherCon. So we're taking the easy way out and doing a Q&A. I love Q&A. All right. First one. First one. I, and I don't even know if this is a great question for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It has to do with author voice. Uh, the, okay. the question is, how do you as an author find your voice? And, and I'll add a question of my own on top of that. What even is author voice? Okay, so anybody who knows my story or who's been listening to these podcasts for a while know that like, I kind of taught myself this stuff. And I did it by reading how to write books. And voice was one of those things that took me several passes through the writing books to even understand. Like, it just seems so vague. I don't do well with vague. And I need specific examples to understand what people are talking about. And voice and theme, it just was like, just over my head. It it went way past my very little, what my very literal brain can handle. So, it's a great to me. It's a great question because I actually figured out what voice means, <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard people try and describe it in so many different ways. And um, really, what it just boils down to is, it's how you write, and it's your accent in words, basically your style, your way of doing things. And sometimes it can take a while for people to find their quote-unquote voice because it's taking them a while to find their themselves, the way they do things. Um, so when you're first starting out and you're learning how to write, if you're reading other authors, you've got them in your head, their style, their way of doing things. That's the other author's voice. And you kind of try and imitate it, but it's like trying to imitate an accent. You know, some people really can pull that off first try, but most of us can't. It takes some real listening, um, you know, practicing to be able to, to nail it. And some people have to go to voice coaches to to be able to nail a particular, you know, patois or whatever it is. So that's really what voice is in writing is that's your accent in words. And when you're copying other people, your voice is going to be muddled. But as you find your stride and, and get your confidence, your own voice starts to shine through. And when they say, you know, um, you know, editors are looking for a unique voice or a strong voice, what they're looking for means that it's consistent throughout your writing just has this thing about it where you can tell that that's you, that is you as that author. And you're not copying 50 different people where this chapter is written one way. And this one feels a little different, which is very different than character voices, right? Because characters have their own voices. So it is the way you structure your sentences, the way 
you structure your paragraphs, the way you structure your chapters. It's the way that you describe things. It's the narrator, how the the in-between spaces, you know, the transitions and all of that, how you as an author do it, that's your voice. And when you're very confident in it and you find your way of doing it, you have your unique voice. You have a strong voice. And that's really what that's all about. Now, it's interesting that you, you talked about chapter structure, paragraph structure, sentence structure, things like that being a part of your voice, and which which brings to mind something that we talked about on a, an episode maybe a couple of years ago, where in I th- um, the most recent book, the most recent published book, what's the title of that? The Mask. The Mask, yes. And it, it's like you made an you made a conscious effort to start shortening things up, shorter chapters, shorter paragraphs. Um, it, when you were doing that, uh, first, am I remembering that correctly? And second, when you were doing that, would you consider that to be a change of voice? In a way, it's a change of voice, but because using shorter sentences is only a small part of it, it doesn't affect the overall voice. Um, I'll give you an example of voice in in my particular context. I have a tendency to use uh, very strong verbs, a lot of forward momentum. Um, I really detest using use of pronouns, although now because my sentences are so much shorter, I end up having to start a lot of sentences with pronouns just to keep it clean. But I I don't like using, you know, he fought, he this. So I I cut out a lot of words that um, I believe can be filler which sometimes copy editors try and put back in because it's so the the human ear is so used to seeing those words and reading. Um, so I have a very sparse prose, and that's also part of my voice. Um, so when people, I've seen reviewers describe what I write, it's not like I consciously went out and said, this is going to be my voice. I'm just parroting back what I've seen said about it is it's it's very um very active very sparse um prose and that's my voice that's my style of how i write so i can combine the the same words all together in one paragraph and it might change the flow it might change the pacing but it's not going to alter the voice that much okay and i i think and i i'm not sure that you would agree but i think you have a very distinctive Voice, and I even see it when we do the hack the craft stuff. When you start modifying sentences, I know that you're mostly trying to retain the voice of the author, but every so often one of those Taylor sentences just pops out, and I'm always tickled when I see it because it's like that's that is so you. <laughs> it's it's so a part of everything that you do. It is true because that's my my way of writing, right? And that's why I always try and preempt that and say, look, this is how I do it. It's not the way because if everybody did it exactly the way that I did it, we'd all have the same voice. I'm just trying to show you the only way I know how to fix this um, because this is how I do it. Then then you take it and go make it your way, your voice, your style. Now, one of the things that... I know about you, and, and anyone who's listened for a while knows about you, is that you don't read a lot of fiction. And is, is that an intentional thing so that your voice remains yours and it, it, you're not, you just don't have this constant flow of other people's material running through your head? Or is it just because you're busy and you don't have time? 
Oh God, I think that if I could read more, I'd have a better voice. I'd have an easier time writing because it gets the creativity flowing and and it gets your your sense of what it is, what is possible, um, how other people do things. I don't think at the the stage that I am now that having other authors in my head would alter my voice. If anything, I'm rewriting their words in my head as I go along. Okay. Um, but I have had other authors tell me, I can't, I started reading this arc or whatever, and I had to stop because I need to finish what I'm working right now on right now, and I don't need your voice in my head. So it can happen like that, but I think it depends on the person uh, and, and what stage they are in their, like, if I've already got a fully formed manuscript and I'm just editing and cleaning it up, nobody's voice is going to get in my way. But if I'm like struggling on something else, it's possible that another author's voice, but I don't deliberately don't read. I would love to be able to read more. I just don't have the time. And also, um, if I do read fiction, it's got to be something that's not suspense or not thriller because I live in that world and I want it, I want the entertainment, you know? So what do you like to read? If you were going to the bookstore today to pick up a book for a three-day weekend, what would you get? What would you look – what aisles would you go down? I'd probably look for just off-the-wall stuff. Um, uh, Christopher Moore is one of my favorite authors just because he's so out there in, in off-the-wall type storytelling and – it's entertaining for me. Um, uh, Terry Pratchett is another author that I've really, I've only had a chance to read one of his books, but I loved it so much because it's so funny and entertaining. And I will read brain candy, you know, like I don't, not cozies because that's still like a mystery type thing, but you know, um, in the vein of Janet Ivanovich, for example, um, it's got some suspense to it, but it's funny. It's entertaining. So that's kind of what I veer for. And I probably could really get into some good sci-fi and fantasy too, if I had time to actually read these massive tomes that they turn into. So I'm, my brain is going, what is the easiest thing for me to just fall into? And so it's going to be light. It's going to be fluffy. It's going to be funny. It's going to make me laugh. And that's pretty much what it is. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great transition to the next question, which is very short and succinct. And it's probably something that you've dealt with uh, through your email list. Um, in, in sending out information to, to subscribers. But the question is, when does writing get easier? It sounds like it comes from somebody who's struggling right now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so there's not like a date, like after you write 100,000 words or you know, well, you know, seven I, weeks after you start, it gets easier? I don't think that it does, to be honest, because – and I've – I've heard this said from other authors too. I've seen them like on Twitter, Facebook, talking with their fans, asking them similar questions that no, the more books you get into, the harder it gets. And that's interesting to me. I know for, for me, it's most certainly a fact that the more I do, the harder it gets. Um, but I think that some things do get easier in the sense of, you know, you have more experience so you know that you can do it and you have more experience so you know sort of how you've done it in the past so you have that to draw on but the better you get the more you push yourself 
not intentionally. That's just human nature. You see your flaws and, and you want to fix them because that's what we do. And so you're always doing something more difficult than, I mean, in my case, I don't need to do it, but I can't help but try and make it better just because my brain is like, no, I see that that's wrong. And 90% of people who are reading it would never see it, but I do. And I'm the one who's writing it. And I just, that's what I'm working on. So there's that. And then as you've written characters and stories, well, you can't just write the same thing over and over again. So you've got to come up with something new and something fresh and something different. And then there's the, well, this book was so amazing and that set the bar. And now you've got to top that. And you, you know, how, how high do you have to jump those hurdles before you just start <laughs> tripping over them, you know? And so it, it's not like you have this baseline and all you have to do is just keep doing that that baseline, everybody just expects more. And and you have to keep meeting those expectations. And so it just gets harder and harder because every book you've now done something else and that eliminates something that you can do. And it's not just your books that you're having to eliminate. You have to try and keep it fresh from what's out there everywhere so that you're not just writing the same story for the 6,000th time that nobody wants to read again. So it's it's more than just the words on the page, although that has something to do with it. It's it's the storytelling and it's the environment and it's the expectations and it's now your skill level has gotten better. And so, no, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, as you were talking, I was thinking back and I may get the details wrong on this, but I think it was in the last Summer Olympics, Usain Bolt won a race. You, you know who Usain Bolt is? I, I actually do know okay, that. All right. I know you're not really big on sports, but he's pretty well known. Um, but I think he, he won a race, and he did not set a world's record. And I, as someone sitting there watching the race, I'm like, oh, he didn't even set a world record. And he just and won like, like his 19th gold medal or something like that, and he's, he's incredible. But I was a little disappointed. I was just going to say, there's like this sense of disappointment, like, you know, you, he could have done so much better. And this is where I have to walk a fine line, but it's almost like the sense we're entitled to him doing mm-hmm. so much better, right? The sense of he owes us to do so. So I stayed up late the, to watch that. <laughs> now imagine being on the receiving end. Yes. No, <laughs> I can't imagine of, that. Of, of attitude of, you know, and you'll see it sometimes in reviews. Oh, you know, so-and-so, you, you can do so much better than this. And and I've gotten reviews like that, and I'm like, really? Would you like to give it a try? <laughs> you know, obviously this is the best I can do, or I wouldn't have done it. And I'm sorry, my best wasn't good enough for you. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that ties into the whole. Does it get easier? No, no, it doesn't. All right, one last question, and this is from me. It's it. This is a paraphrased version of a question from someone else, but I'm twisting it around because I'm curious about this and it's something that I do in my own mind all the time. If I you, like Steve questions. If you, if you could create your perfect writing schedule, what would it be? The actual question was something like, what's, you know, what's, what's your writing schedule, which is like not as interesting as, cause I know how chaotic your life is, but what would, what would the most productive writing schedule for you be? Oh, boy. Well, 
That's a hard one to answer because it's not just about the schedule. It's about making my brain work. My, my brain doesn't want to do this. It really struggles with the creativity. And so I need a lot of silence and a lot of alone time and a lot of not being interrupted to give my brain enough time. Like I maybe need an eight hour day to get two hours of work. So my ideal writing day isn't a day. It is weeks of kids get off to school on time. There's no doctor's appointment. There's no emergencies. There's nothing I need to take care of. There's no errands I need to run or phone calls I need to make. The bills have all magically been paid. It's okay. Somebody else doesn't have to pay them. They're just paid. Um, all the the minutia that goes in um, in managing life is just doesn't exist for that time frame. And I can stay up as late as I want because I am very productive in the late, late evening hours, like, you know, up to two or three in the morning. And then I can sleep as late as I need to, to compensate for that. But it doesn't work with real life. It just doesn't. So my ideal is to be able to let my brain guide the schedule and be productive in the hours that I have. That's my fantasy writing. So you life. don't have, for example, a particular time of day when your brain is at its best. It just has more to do with a prolonged period of no interruptions, maybe. It is prolonged period in terms of days, how many days I can have without having to interrupt that writing habit, that pattern. And I am productive usually, most productive usually in the first, let's see, not the first two hours after I wake up, but like the third, fourth, and fifth hour after I've woken. Those are my best. And then at a certain point, my brain just shuts down and says, screw this, I'm taking my toys and going home. <laughs> and then after all the evening stuff has happened and the kids are off in bed or whatever, then it's like, okay, now let's take a look at this again and see. So I might get another, you know, two hours of good production time. But in those hours in between that I'm not really productive, I still get stuff done that makes it possible for me to be productive in the evening. If I didn't have those quote unquote wasted hours during the day, then the evening would turn into those wasted hours. It's just really frustrating. I just, you don't want my brain. It's so freaking frustrating living inside my head. It's, if other things I can really get accomplished with, you know, I can do so many other things just so capably and make incredible progress on them. But creative writing is my nemesis. It is so hard. And um, I don't know, maybe there are people out there who would benefit from hearing that. I got an email from somebody recently. Um, I think he's a listener. I know he's definitely a patron. He's a friend. And um, he had gone back to read 
part of the fulcrum, which is the earlier chapters of the as-of-yet-unpublished Monroe book that I'm writing very, very hyper-slowly on the side. And um, he said something to the effects of, you know, I just can't get over the the way that my brain works and that the way that it structures these sentences. And I think he used the word dendritic, um, which I know what dendrites are. So by implication, I know what that means. Well, some of us don't know. So maybe you can clarify that. Dendrites are the the cells in your brain, the threads in your brain that, that connect uh, let the information travel. Okay, uh, it's it's a it's a brain thing. Um, uh, neurons and dendrites and whatever. I okay. think you know, but that's where he was going from. Just the connections between you know the thoughts and the way the characters figured things out. And and in response to that, I was like, if you only knew <laughs> the hell that I go through to get the words to read the way they read and the thoughts to connect the way they connect. And the response back was something along the lines of, well, it's really a relief to hear that because if I found out that this was easy for you, I think I would just up and quit right now or something (laughs) along those lines. So for those of you out there who are struggling, just know that you're not alone in that. And and the finished product is all fancy and, and looks great, we hope, but it's, it's, really hard to get it to that and so yeah there's a little daisy picking off the main question but yeah okay so that is it for this week's show you are off to BoucherCon. we will be back next week and we won't have questions and answers to BoucherCon because we're going to record next week's show as soon as we close this show out so it'll be two weeks we'll we'll find out what taylor did at BoucherCon. so it better be interesting it's not going to be we're gonna have to wait on for the table, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to go into the whole bar thing, spending all your time in the bar. <laughs> I assume, I mean, you know, those of us that live in Southwest Florida, we're a little older and we don't do those things. Right, we'll just stop right Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. All <laughs> we right. hope you enjoyed this week's show. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll be back again next Tuesday. <laughs>